And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name, Josh Norris, here on this Thursday slash Friday with Patrick Darty and energetically, John Daigle. Gentlemen, how are we? What is new in your quarantine life? We're two months into doing these quarantine videos from home. So you would think I already have the gist of it down, but I still smile every time we come on as if the camera sees me, but it's only my webcam. I'm, it turns <laughs> out I'm still just very bad at my job, Josh. It's in, it's in my contract, Daigle, for me to open the show with the camera on me to basically only have you make up about 15% of airtime. Is that okay? It works out. It works out for everyone. I think we're all doing but well from it. I feel like you with your communications background, Daigle has very much your camera set up in the rule of thirds, I might add, with you on one side with negative space in the middle, and then Johnny Manziel taking up the right side of the camera. It's it's very well set up, I might add. It's cinematic. They have, call, they have called me the Wes Anderson of fantasy football in my time, <laughs> yes. Speaking of movies, Pat is starting more and more to look like he is preparing for some role, being a method actor with this <laughs> loss of weight, with this mustache, with this beard thing he has going on. Pat, how many days? Is it like 34 days of beard so far? Yeah, it is a little, it'd be too charitable to really call it a full-blown beard. Um, I think I think it's honestly already, I think it's been three weeks now. So it's not, you know, I just needed to see what this thing looked like. You know, if not now, then when? But the cheeks, you know, a little patchier than I was hoping. And the mustache, you know, very dark. Um, I don't think I'm ready to become a mustache man, though. But, you know, day 1,000 of the pandemic, you know, I'm just just experimenting. This is what I nominate both of you to shave everything but the soul patch because both of you have no. very strong soul patches. That could be the new brand here at Roto World. You have a good soul a patch game. Matt, is this the longest it's ever been? Yeah, probably. For various obvious reasons, I've always shaved. Yeah. Um, well, you look 29 now, I might add. That's good. Very good. <laughs> not a day under, uh, yeah, not, not a day under 29. But. What does the wife think about it? She doesn't care. Uh, you know, she's got kids. Uh, she's not really too, I like, I like mention the beard, you know, and then she just has to go back to, uh, taking care of our children. She doesn't plus, really. Plus y'all have been locked up together for like two months. She just doesn't even notice anymore. We don't really speak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move forward with football. Now that the NFL draft is behind us in the rearview mirror, we have plenty of review podcasts for you to go and check out on those if you would like to. But now, especially with no offseason activities in the near future, these rosters across the NFL are basically set. So we'll be diving into a lot of that as we move along here with these post-draft press conferences. But I thought the best way to lean into that to start is to look on the offensive side of the ball and to call out the teams that are in the best situations at every single position. Really highlight the ones that have done the best job of building their rosters at those respective positions. This really came about in my head. Well, one, I would say 90% of the football podcasts in the universe have done this. But two, uh, Jameis Winston signing with the New Orleans Saints, giving them a kind of loaded quarterback room. So this is how I've assigned it. Each of us have two positions. Patrick Doherty has running back and offensive coordinator. John Daigle, wide receiver, tight end. And I have quarterback, offensive lineman. We'll rotate. I have no idea exactly what Pat is going to say. I have no idea what Daigle is going to say. But we each will make our case for one of our positions until we complete all six. Does that sound good, guys? Works for me. 
Do you want, can I throw in a real quick random aside? You asked what I'm doing during, I forgot to mention I'm about to set both the single season passing and interceptions record with Kirk Cousins in a Madden dynasty. Uh, why, why would you pick Kirk Cousins? Uh, I got, I had to be an NFC North team and someone had already claimed the Packers and I took the Vikings. Uh-huh. What, what is like your, your run to pass ratio? Like would, would analytics Twitter be on your case if you were a real play caller? They would be on my case for it being too extreme, even for them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just play action pass every single play. It's essentially probably 90 to 10 uh, pass to run. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Davin Cook, is, too far. Davin Cook is upset, and I'm sure because you are a Roto-Worlder, Mike Boone is your prime prime candidate in the backfield. So I appreciate that. Uh, Dalvin Cook, I've gotten a few of those automated messages that my star running back is upset. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he's not too happy. Let's, again, dive into the topic before that tangent. John Daigle, you were nominated to go first. Where would you like to start, wide receiver or tight end? Let's start with wide receiver. I think you could have argued top two, right? Like the best starting top two, but I'm going a different approach, and I'm saying the deepest unit. And I only counted two teams that could confidently go five deep on any game day. The one, my winner, being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you start at the top, right? Mike Evans, six consecutive seasons with 67 catches and 1,000 receiving yards, keeping that streak alive despite only playing 13 games last year. Chris Godwin got bumped into the slot for a career-high 63% rate in his first year under Bruce Arians last year and came away with the second-most receiving yards behind only Cooper Cup from the middle of the field. Even someone like Scotty Miller, if we start arguing which is their number three receiver right now, Take into account Scotty Miller comped as Bruce Arians' next John Brown as an outside speed threat uh, in his first year as a rookie, did have three catches, 25-plus yards downfield. Uh, even third-year wideout Justin Watson last year recorded 146 yards and two touchdowns as a part-time player over the final month of the season. And then now you sprinkle in fifth-round rookie Tyler Johnson, who I know the fantasy community is very high on. And he played 78% of his snaps the past two years at Minnesota in the slot. So we don't have an exact role for him just yet, but the team goes five deep because if Chris Godwin does go down like he did last year, they now have someone they could confidently throw there. And we know Tyler Johnson is also a a big-bodied, 50-50 contested catch guy who goes up for the ball and will battle, uh, uses physicality downfield. So I, I just think it's the deepest position all around. You're basically saying two wide receivers are the starters. Meanwhile, when I was looking around at potential nominations, while I agree with you that probably at the end of the day, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin trump anyone's top two, it's shocking how many good three wide receiver sets there are out there now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's basically starting caliber three wide receivers. And I mean, if I were to nominate another team that might be competing with the Bucs, Daigle, I would nominate the Arizona Cardinals. You have Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, who both had very solid seasons in 2019. And then it's instantly upgrade with DeAndre Hopkins in the fold, plus Andy Isabella as a possible emerging threat during his second season. There, there are a lot of others, though, and I won't hog them all because I'm sure Pat has some other mentions as well as potential nominations. Teams are getting serious about three receiver sets, as you said. And it's hard to usually, to me, the tiebreaker, I think John approached it the right way. Uh, it's most important to have a really, really good top two and then some depth. Um, but, you know, hard to argue with the Falcons' top two. Uh, hmm. Still maybe arguably – it's hard. What is even the best 
like what's even the best top two in the league? This would be almost a single podcast topic you could discuss. Uh, and now the Dallas Cowboys, though, I mean, I think you can almost make lay claim to the Cowboys top three being more valuable uh, than the Bucks top two. That's a lot of projection I'm doing for Mr. CD Lamb, uh, who we all love. Um, but you could even throw out like troll answers, like maybe the Lions, maybe, hey, maybe the, the Texans, Randall Cobb, um, Kiki Cutie, is he still on the roster, I believe? Um, right now, it's just a great league-wide environment, a wide receiver. And my answer would have been the Bucks, also, because the top two is just so overwhelming. If you debate the top two, so it depends on how you approach this question. And since this is left to our interpretation, top two is Bucks, Cowboys, Cardinals, Falcons, in whatever order. If you go starting three wideouts, it then becomes Bucks and Cowboys and Cardinals. Get the Falcons out of there because Russell Gage and Kristen Blake don't count. Hey, um, you're forgetting one, John Daigle, and I can't believe they haven't been getting more nominations. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills of Stephon Diggs. John ooh, Brown was right. fantastic last year. And Cole Beasley is exactly what you're hoping for as a slot wide receiver. The Buffalo Bills, I understand that while they might create separation, they might be open downfield, that the opportunities don't arrive to them as accurately as potentially they should. But from a pure talent standpoint, that top three with Stephon Diggs added into the mix should absolutely belong. You're right. Uh, having said that, you go five deep now, and I actually think it's only the Bucks and the Steelers that can lose their third or fourth receiver and someone steps up immediately. I mean, this is a, a difficult question from where we sit right now because one, either you inject your feelings on rookies and who you think they're going to be or know that they're going to be during their first season, and obviously that would vault the Cowboys into there. Or it's, again, the top two versus top three versus top five. I think top five we can kind of throw away, and I understand why you went that. But I, w- I would throw in the bills. And if we can look at potential, going back to injecting rookies into here, there's a, a potential that the Denver Broncos could potentially be up there. Because Cortland Sutton had a fantastic 2019, and you throw in two rookies that already have areas where they win immediately in Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I would also throw in, as a potential team, the Indianapolis Colts. T.Y. Hilton's been doing it for a very long time. Paris Campbell, the second round last year, did absolutely nothing during his rookie season, but that team expects a major jump. And now Frank Reich has come out and said that Michael Pittman, the rookie who is also a second round pick might have been his favorite wide receiver prospect in this entire draft and comparing him to Vincent Jackson. So again, the Broncos and Colts to me could be ones that we look at in 365 days and say, yeah, we should have been a little bit higher on those two teams. The bills are a good call. I should have put them in the top two for sure. I would say the Lions are the better version of the Bills receiver core that no. Josh uh, explained. Yeah, I mean, you have explosive play, Kenny Galladay, who can do anything on the field. You have explosive play, Marvin Jones, still one of the league's best deep threats. And then you have Danny Amendola, is arguably, eh, he's probably not better than Cole Beasley at this no, point. No, uh, Very simple. Stephon Diggs, uh, by the way, about to set the single season receiving yard on Madden and my dynasty, so I can't really overlook uh, how good he is. But, uh, yeah, the, the Bills and Lions are, are – I think I convinced myself in the middle of my spiel, though, that it is indeed the Bills. Yeah, go. Marvin Jones, just because, like, the team has already, like, flirted with cutting him in the offseason. Um, he probably has one more year left on that team. But then afterwards, uh, I would imagine, depending what – which rookie was it? It wasn't Quez Watkins. It was um, – Who, on the Lions? Yeah. 
I don't, I don't see any on their depth chart right now. The Lions have Geronimo Allison now. Uh, I mean, yes, if you're thinking do. of that, that kind of put them. They up. added an interesting rookie as well. Uh, I'll look it up as his podcast. They, looked, they added DeAndre Swift in the, in, as, at running back. Um, okay. Courtney Davis, too. So, so, Daigle, we did not sway you at all. Your final answer here with the best wide receiver group in the NFL is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You lose somebody, somebody else steps in with ease. Yes. Scotty Miller, low key. I think Bruce Arians loves him. I understand yeah. the Tyler John. I understand all of that. But, you know, Bruce Arians loved John Brown coming out of Pittsburgh State, going into Arizona. And I am certain he sees a little bit of John Brown in Scotty Miller as well. All and right. the answer, by the way, is Quintus Cephas was the name I was trying to think of oh. on the Lions roster. Got it. Look out for him, Josh. Are you sure? <laughs> no. Are you sure? Okay. Patrick Doherty, running back or offensive coordinator? Take it away. I mean, running back has to be the Houston Texans, right, after they went out and got uh, David Johnson for the low, low price of DeAndre Hopkins. I win that bet. I win the bet <laughs> that Patrick opens his with spiel a joke? with a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'll approach this differently, and I probably have a similar approach at quarterback too, where uh, depth, of course, is always important. But if I could choose any one team's backfield – I'm going to choose the one-man backfield of the Carolina Panthers. Um, wow. Because not only is Christian McCaffrey have the perfect modern skill set for a running back, someone who is almost as effective as a pass catcher, as a runner, you could argue they involve him too much as a pass catcher, obviously, and that even though he's efficient for a running back as a receiver, he's still not as efficient as a receiver would be. But, you know, this is the era of passing. This is the era of running backs where you want to have a three-down skill set. No one is better at that as Christian McCaffrey. And so where he's Mr. New, new School there, though, he's extremely old school in that he doesn't come off the field. I mean, like, that is such a huge luxury for such a variety of reasons. The way you can keep defenses off balance when you, when you have a running back who is both your true uh, early down back and your true receiving back. His combination of that, like, you know, old school durability and not coming off the field and the way he catches passes and the way, he, yeah, he doesn't get hurt. Uh, he's gotten better each season, uh, still so young. Um, uh, there's not a backfield situation I would take over the Panthers, even if we kind of view it as a one-man backfield. That is not the direction I would have gone in. How about I do this? I'll nominate one Daigle, and then I won't take all of yours because I'm sure you have a couple of follow-ups here. I would nominate the Ravens. If we're just talking why, runners. Why would you want to have four backs instead of one? You if, know? We're ta- if we're talking runners – I mean, it's difficult, and I, I know this is against the rules, difficult not to include Lamar Jackson in there when he's the team's leading rusher. It's very against, against the rules. The rules. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But then, but then you have, obviously, Mark Ingram, who still has juice left. You add, in my opinion, J.K. Dobbins, where I think it, it can be difficult to project rookies into there, but I would also say that running back is probably the seamless transition from college to the NFL in terms of production. Gus Edwards could have rushed for 1,100 yards in 1995, and you add Justice Hill to if there is going to be a piece in there of how you want to use him on the field, and if he was in a different offense that used that more often, I think he'd definitely be a, a role player and an impact one um, on an NFL team. As, as a collective group, I think the Ravens definitely boast the best. I'm with Josh. The Ravens were my pick as well. Uh, if you want to go a little deeper, though, we can do the 49ers, who even someone, Jeff Wilson, as the team's fourth back, scored four touchdowns as their goal line bruiser last year. Uh, but then to just have a one-two punch that is easily interchangeable between Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert for pretty much nothing as well on your cap is tremendous. And then uh, I think the Chargers are sort of sneaky 
with Austin Eckler. You have to give Justin Jackson a little more credit, but he's a big-bodied guy who I think could hold up if asked to carry 15 times. And then uh, Joshua Kelly, the rookie they just added. Why, 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 aren't, why aren't we mentioning the New Orleans Saints here? I mean, Alvin Kamara, I think, well, is is 95% Christian McCaffrey. I truly believe that. And then you add in Latavius Murray, who's definitely been a productive player when on the field. The Saints absolutely have a case to make here. I'm going to jump back in here. I, I was still, why have three or four guys do the job that one person could do? So again, I think Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, those are the two backfields I think are the best setup in the NFL. Hmm. But if we're looking at like a true committee depth, like depth situation, then to me the obvious answer is probably the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you have an elite early down runner and Nick Chubb who can also catch passes. And then you have a ridiculously talented third down back and Kareem Hunt that we yeah. know can be an early down back. Talk about two like, like interchangeable chess pieces and just like really, really good young running backs. Um, that, so. That's very fair, Pat. And I think the difference here between wide receiver and running back is that at running back, you know, almost certainly you're going to lose your guy for at least a period of time. I understand that hasn't happened to the Carolina Panthers yet, but we've seen it happen to every other team yeah. since that point. So I think at least some depth offers a, uh, a, a piece a, to value them higher here. And I mean, after the Panthers, it's Reggie Bonifon, who's a former yeah. quarterback at Louisville. It's Jordan Scarlett, who was a former fifth round pick out of Florida, who did absolutely nothing during his rookie year. And that's it. Like their backups at that spot are absolutely atrocious. And your point is also made by what happened to the Giants last year when Saquon Barkley got a high ankle sprain. And they're, they're starting like players that weren't even good at Boston College. Um, yeah. So yeah, you need a little depth. The Browns uh, are a great shout. So Pat, I, I'm are you still going to go with the Panthers here or has our remark and rebuttal of depth swayed you at all? I am because the Panthers, it's not like it would be difficult. If I, if I were starting a team from scratch and I could just like teleport anyone backfields onto my expansion squad, I would still do the Panthers because I'd have wow. the best, most versatile back. And then as we talk about running back, it would not be difficult to upgrade the Panthers depth at running back. So if I'm starting a franchise. But but what we're asking is right now, at this current point, who it is, who's the best in the NFL, you're still going with Carolina despite it being 90% one player and 10% everyone else. Yeah, you know. Because for how they use their backs, I still think the Ravens are in the best situation. Mm-hmm. And and I would I would also nominate probably your Cleveland Brown mention above what, what the Panthers offer as well. I think the Browns might actually be the trick because you have two true three down backs there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the Browns, not the Panthers. Okay. That's what we're closing with. We're closing with the Browns. The Ravens right. could lose their top two runners and their third one would still come in and not miss a beat. So I'm still saying they have no one who's even in the same stratosphere as McCaffrey or even as Chubb or Kareem Hunt. Uh, yeah. We don't know J.K. Dobbins. Mark Ingram has kind of been marginalized. He doesn't catch passes really anymore. Justice Hill, still an unknown commodity. Gus Edwards is fine, but he's just a guy, and I don't know. You need upside, too, uh, not just depth. All right, so far, Daigle has nominated the Buccaneers for wide receivers. Patrick switched over to Cleveland Browns for running back. I will lead us to quarterback here. There are two ways to have this conversation. It's depth, and I opened this entire podcast by talking about, you know, your Jameis Winston, your Taysom Hill, and your Drew Brees trio, um, especially when you consider Sean Payton went 5-0 and without Drew Brees last year. The depth of that team, and namely at quarterback this year, is probably even better than it was last year, also considering development. Um, 
you know, the Indianapolis Colts also have two quarterbacks that have plenty of starting experience. Jacob Brissett has 32 starts under his belt. Phillip Rivers has about 3,200 under his belt with the Chargers. But I would go in the quarterback scenario with the one who was best, without depth. I don't think it matters here. So it has to be the Kansas City Chiefs. They have the best player in the NFL at the most important position in the NFL. They even last year went two games without him, I believe, and went one and one. So even despite Chad Henney and Jordan Tayamu of the XFL rounding out the quarterback depth chart under Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes carries the Kansas City Chiefs to the best quarterback position group in the NFL. I completely agree. And I think the one-man approach, uh, while a stretch at running back, is definitely – so, you know, every summer I do an article ranking the best quarterback situations. And it's always tough, you know, to – so, you know, very few teams even have, a, like, a serviceable backup quarterback. There's, like, three or four actually good backup quarterbacks and, like, 26 or 27 teams that are just absolutely screwed if the starter gets hurt. So very few teams even have that luxury – and so, like, if you have a legit backup, your quarterback situation will get pushed up the ranks a little bit. I mean, I couldn't agree more, especially with the infrequency with which quarterbacks get hurt. You know, not that they never get hurt. As you just said, Pat Mahomes even missed two games last year. But to me, I always approach this just from who is the best quarterback, unless they're 37 or 38. And it's Patrick Mahomes by a country mile. And then probably still Russell Wilson, number two. Hmm. And then the rest is just kind of all you fill in the details later. Unlike the running back position, you just can't replace Patrick Mahomes no matter what you do. Even his fifth-year option, which the team just picked up for $24.8 million, that's an absolute steal. Uh, considering the ex- long-term extension he's going to receive in the next two years, that's going to reset the market uh, like t- double, twice over. So, yeah, it's, it's an easy answer. Patrick Mahomes literally changed football, made it fun to watch again as these dwindling old men were hanging on like Tom Brady and Ben Rosberger. Patrick Mahomes came in and said, no, I'm just going to play football the way I learned. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's fun. He's just fun. Mahomes is about to get Cristiano Ronaldo money. It's going to be a brave new world for the NFL. And it will seem like a steal. And you're because so he right. Keeps you in every game no matter what. You're so right about Mahomes making football fun because, like, we're finally we're still in like the efficiency at all costs era, but we are finally starting to see teams build offenses again with a downfield mindset. As like one of the teams that has to play the Chiefs twice every year, the Broncos have decided they have to do. We talked about injuries. Last season was about as close as possible to worst case scenario for the Chiefs when Mahomes went out with a dislocated kneecap, returned two games later, and they won six of their final seven games of the regular season and (laughs) then won the Super Bowl. Like Andy Reid, I think, would be able to get by in a two to three game stretch with Matt Moore or whoever else, you know, they pulled from the street to start for them. They almost beat the Packers. They almost beat the Packers last year. But at the end of the day, having a quarterback who can orchestrate 21 points in a single quarter, basically, not whenever he wants to, but in any game that they need to, that is the difference maker. And that's why, even despite the lack of depth here, um, Patrick Mahomes deserves this honor by himself as Atlas carrying it on his shoulders. Pat, let me ask you this, though. Even this past weekend, when we were watching the NFL draft, more and more teams are valuing backup quarterbacks. Why aren't the Chiefs doing that as much? But why are teams like the Eagles doing it? Obviously taking Jalen Hurts in what, round two? And we've obviously seen what the Packers did, having investing in their future. We saw Jameis Winston sign with the Saints. Like These are all backups that have potential to start if need be, yet some other teams that are already in their window to win right now 
aren't investing nearly as much in them. It's just because even with the ex- in the era of like the exploding salary cap, where like salaries still aren't really keeping up with how much the salary cap has increased, so you can spend more on this, but it's just so prohibitive. And you know, we had the Saints, you know, vividly demonstrate uh, the the benefit for having a legitimate backup quarterback last year. So obviously any contending team should want to have a legitimate backup quarterback, but look at the prices you have to pay to do it. Uh, It has to be 7.5 million for Marcus Mariota or a first round pick on Jordan love or a second round pick on Jalen hurts. And when you're, you know, when you're a contending team, so again, we've had the saints showing you how good it can be to have a legitimate backup, but when you're a contending team, you just can so rarely devote those resources to that position. And the Saints are just, you know, they're, they're playing a different game. That everyone, like more teams should adopt the Saints approach, in my opinion. More teams should be all in on any given – like the Saints are all in on whatever season it is. Yeah. Know, that's a more fun approach. That like, maximizes your championship odds. They're not – you need to worry about the future, obviously, but more teams should be all in on every season, in my opinion. And the Saints are doing that, but it's just – yeah, look at the cost to get a legitimate backup quarterback. It is so high. Uh, what was your second option, Josh? Was it the Saints? I really didn't have one. Yeah, I would probably go with the Saints because even at the top, Drew Brees obviously is still playing at a Super Bowl caliber level, even despite obviously his vertical passing game falling off a little bit. But Jameis Winston on just like a $1.5 million contract, it oh, is so wild that he he is in that position compared to – I mean, I know that the Pittsburgh Steelers are completely cap-strapped, but they have tried basically every single year in the draft to try to upgrade their backup quarterback position. And you go from Landry Jones to Josh Dobbs to Mason Rudolph to Duck Hodges, and it's like the same cycle over and over again of just disappointment when someone uh, heading in there to to fend for a, a injured Ben Roethlisberger where they didn't get a proven guy in that spot. So yeah, The NFL – dropped the ball on that because I was just talking about, you know so if you want to legit back a quarterback you have to really spend uh clearly you did not have to really spend to get Jameis why all 32 NFL teams were not willing to pay Jameis Winston five and a half million dollars to be their backup is insane because that's cheaper than Teddy Bridgewater was it's cheap way cheaper than Marcus Mariota would have been it would have been a small price to pay for like a quarterback insurance um for like a truly contending team and I don't understand why this one happened the way. And isn't it funny? The one time the Steelers didn't go shopping for a backup was after the one year they saw their backups play and truly needed to add a backup. It's insane. I think the Browns are interesting a little bit. I mean, Case Keenum's their backup quarterback there behind Baker Mayfield, but based on what Baker put on the field, I barely even wanted to suggest them. And just going through these quarterback depth charts, can I ask you all a question? What roster is Paxton Lynch currently on? Pat? (laughs) Bagel. <laughs> I'm going to say the Jets. Pat? Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's the team we were just discussing, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So maybe that's their backup scenario. Oh, interesting. No, it's not. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. We are through three position groups on offense. John Daigle, you are back up with tight ends. So if you are trying to match the Bucks one-two punch, which may be the answer here, right? Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard. You have to get really top-heavy. We don't have to speak for depth. And so we're going with the Philadelphia Eagles because we can bring on Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Imagine changing your entire offense to cater to a second-year player, let alone tight end. 
And that's what the Eagles did. They ran a league-high rate of two tight end sets last year, thus forcing Dallas Goddard to the field for 600 yards and five touchdowns in only his second year in the league. Uh, and, of course, Zach Ertz, the mainstay among that offense, 74 catches, 800 yards for five consecutive seasons. That's as top-heavy as it gets in the entire league. And if you want to go even deeper, we don't have to. But remember, Josh Perkins also came off the bench last year and that Week 17 win and in situation and did catch four, four receptions, 50 yards, and a touchdown. So uh, a deep but also one-two punch that I don't think anyone in the league can match. For some reason, I was expecting you to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so I'm glad you went with who I thought would be number one at the Eagles here. I, I think Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are both, if given the opportunity that other top tight ends are, obviously Ertz is, they, they would both be considered top 10 tight ends across the NFL. I mean, Dallas Goddard, I think, can be a special player. And for already contributing what he has in what his first two seasons in the NFL at a position that we know is historically slow to develop, Dallas Goddard is on the trajectory to me to be an even better player throughout his career than what Zach Ertz has shown right now. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles are the clear. I mean, Dallas Goddard would already be like a top five or six fantasy tight end if you're on almost any other team. And uh, the Bucs are in the conversation now. Maybe the Rams, uh, if you have two playmakers at tight end, that is the thing that most teams do not have. And the Eagles have it. I would say the Rams have it, and Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. Uh, even the Ravens, after trading Hayden Hurst, Nick Boyle is still pretty – for a number two pass-catching threat at tight end, Nick Boyle is not a bad option. And uh, the Eagles are heads and shoulders above – maybe not heads and shoulders above the Rams, but still clearly ahead of the Rams here. And it's the Eagles and really kind of end the discussion. If you go – if you want to go three deep, it's the Bucks because Cameron Brait is a starter in this league who is just kind yes. of forced out due to O.J. Howard's athleticism. But too deep, considering it's 31-year-old Gronkowski coming off a year where he wasn't even in the league – uh, that we don't know what to expect. Goddard, exactly. No. That puts Goddard and Ertz at the forefront. I mean, how can we leave out the, t- the team that's used 10 roster spots on tight ends? <laughs> <laughs> and so at the bottom of this list, uh, the yeah. Browns have signed Austin Hooper to a massive contract. They still have David Njoku, who maybe has yeah. his best football ahead of him. That's one for the potential, again, that we can look at a year from now and say, yeah, both have sprouted into very good players and have been better than they were in their past. Let me also throw this wrinkle in there. What if we include Kyle Juszczyk as a tight end, which I don't know if it's fair. It's but then you, then you have George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk in this tight end slash fullback hybrid. And then the San Francisco 49ers. Because I think, obviously, George Kittle is the best tight end in football. I, I mean, Travis Kelsey is fantastic, but I would still start with George Kittle if I could. And that dynamic, I think, adds a little wrinkle onto this. A team we should have maybe mentioned too is also the Vikings, um, with kind of a kind of an underappreciated jack of all trades in Kyle Rudolph, and then a really great uh, upside young player in Irv Smith. Again, think, I'm trying to get his attributes up on Madden. You know, trying to get the progression going. Um, I think the Seahawks. You're going to laugh. I think the Seahawks are kind of sneaky strong at that position as well. They are just just to add Greg, Josh's face, just to have Greg Olson, who I understand has been injured, but he's still a, a snap sponge. And Will Disley has been a proven talent at that position despite running a 6-7-40. Like, they actually manufacture his touches. So, uh, I think the Seahawks are pretty good, too. Yeah. I mean, you have Greg Olson, who's missed a number of games in his last two seasons and is, like, a dad runner at this point. You have Will Disley, who's always been a dad runner but somehow scores touchdowns. He's successful. And then you have Brian Schottenheimer's favorite football player in the whole NFL and Jacob Hollister. 
So yeah, may- maybe Seattle does belong there. All right, Daigle, is your final answer, and I think it's the correct one, the Philadelphia Eagles? Correct. Okay. Pat, you're up with offensive coordinator. I'm, I'm, we're all kind of cheating, I feel like, and uh, I'm definitely going to try to cheat with this one. I don't necessarily just mean offensive coordinator. I think that play caller is the right way to say this because a lot of head coaches are play callers in the NFL. Well, it's a good thing that you laid that caveat out there because I am going with head coach Andy Reid. And uh, you could make an argument for head coach Kyle Shanahan, uh, a lot of other people. I mean, just for, for Andy Reid, first off, look at the different quarterbacks Andy Reid has run successful offenses with in his career, the diversity of skill sets. Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, you know, four basically completely different skill sets. He even won some games – with Jeff Garcia. And, uh, you know, the first quarter is as important as the fourth quarter, and no one comes out with a better initial game script, usually, than Andy Reid. And, you know, and just in a league of followers, Andy Reid has, like, always been a trendsetter. Like, you're never going to find, like, Andy Reid adjusting his offense to catch up to some innovation another team did. Like, Andy Reid is one of the trendsetters. And, you know, in his 60s, he's still at absolute peak of his powers. And, um, just Andy Reid is the preeminent play caller in the NFL. And to keep going real quick, if I had to choose an actual play caller right now, I might go with someone who hasn't even called to play for his new team yet. But like if a true offensive coordinator, I might say Gary Kubiak. Hmm. Um, we're talking about a perfect alignment between the head coach's philosophy and Kubiak's strengths and his quarterback's strengths. Uh, you're going to pound the rock and have play action passing. And so Gary Kubiak, maybe I would say is the best pure offensive coordinator. But yeah, if I'm taking a play caller, I'm taking Andy Reid. I'm still taking Kyle Shanahan, still going top heavy, but you're, you make a valid argument for Andy Reid. He has done it more consistently and much longer than Shanahan so, um, over, over different tenures. If, if I can play devil's advocate here, Pat, between the Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan debate, what's easier to bring an offense to the Super Bowl that is quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes or to bring an offense to the Super Bowl that is quarterbacked by Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, it's easier with Mahomes, but I mean, again, Andy Reid, he went 11 and 5 like five times with Alex Smith. So yeah. it's not exactly like he's always stacking the deck in his favor. And, you know, it's easier to do it with Pat Mahomes than it is Jimmy Garoppolo. But I mean, Andy Reid took three years to turn Patrick Mahomes from a Texas Tech kind of uncertainty into the unquestioned best player in the NFL. Obviously, Mahomes deserves most of the credit for that. But it's not like Andy Reid has just been gifted, you know, easy quarterback setups. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty – pretty. I mean, Kyle Shanahan made Matt Ryan an MVP and Jimmy Garoppolo a Super Bowl quarterback. It's pretty darn good. And four consecutive NFC championship appearances from 2001 to 2004 for Andy Reid's Eagles. He was just due the Super Bowl. Like, just he give was. him that. I was heartsick for Andy Reid that he had never won a Super Bowl and so happy he finally got it. So what if Kyle Shanahan's in that same place in <laughs> 15 years? And he so is setting one. himself up to be the next degree, <laughs> is he not? Uh-huh. I, I mean, I, I think both are obviously fantastic. What Kyle is able to do to – like you watch teams across the league every single week, and it's like their passing game can look so difficult. I'm looking to you, Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson, like the first <laughs> and primary read is never there. Meanwhile, you turn on a 49ers game and immediately like everything is open by two or three yards in the middle of the field. You're like, why can't any other team do this this easily? What Kyle Shanahan is able to do to create separation for his players who obviously are then fantastic with the ball in their hands afterwards. There's a lot of cohesion. There's a lot of synergy there. And I just love what he's building 
in San Francisco, despite, I think, obviously a, a drop down in talent at quarterback compared to others. I want to nominate one more, though. I'm a little shocked that he hasn't been mentioned. I know Greg who it Roman, is. Greg Roman of the Baltimore Ravens. Greg Roman has taken a quarterback that everyone in the league passed up on once. Everyone in the league passed up on once that they don't want to run the style of offense. They didn't want to have a quarterback who is their number one rushing threat, as well as building a passing offense around him. No one wanted to think out of the box in that style. Yet Greg Roman put out one of the best offenses in the NFL in 2019 and returns basically every single starter for the upcoming season. I think Greg Roman's in a fantastic spot. He is. And it's like, it's not, this isn't the first time Greg Roman's done that either. You know, Greg Roman with the 49ers kind of took an unorthodox situation and made an elite offense. And I thought the guy you were going to mention though, that we hadn't mentioned it was Sean Payton. Um, mm-hmm. But we've all just mentally docked because I mean, the taste I mean, this Taysom Hill contract. We need an entire podcast just on the Taysom Hill contract. No, we don't. We do not. I refuse. <laughs> I will sit out that episode. And I think uh, Greg Roman could get by with RG3 for a couple games, a la Matt Moore and Andy Reid, if he needed to. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Greg Roman just deserves a lot of love. Again, I think innovation is a great word for it, Pat, where – we see so many teams across the league look at Andy Reid, look at Kyle Shanahan, and say, oh, now I want to do what they did. I mean, the same was with Sean McVay a couple of years ago. Meanwhile, there are trailblazers out there. And while, you know, Greg Roman certainly is borrowing from the past of what things have worked with other teams, um, he is now, if you look across the league of 32 teams, he is the only one doing his style, really. And that speaks volumes to me of the risk of the want to, of the will to do that, because so many people in the league are copycats. And it's, it's with Greg Roman too, you're almost underselling it because he initially did this in the middle of a season. You know, he right. wasn't even the offensive coordinator in 2018 and they just kind of made him the coordinator on the fly and he changed the whole offense on the fly from Joe Flacco. So yeah, he was a great uh, under the underrated name to bring up. But you are finishing with Andy Reid here as your, as the best play caller in the NFL pack. I am Sir Andrew Reed, uh, <laughs> Super Bowl R-I-E. winner, Andy Reed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We will close out this discussion with offensive line. And you all hear me talk about it every single week. I always talk about offensive line talent and continuity. And there are six teams entering next season that, as of right now, have the same five starters in place as they did last year. Those are the Bills, the Chiefs, the Colts, the Jaguars the Raiders, and the Saints. Uh, And of those six, only one of the teams spent a top two-round pick on offensive linemen. That was obviously the Saints in the first round with Cesar Ruiz. So it might not be fair, but I am going to keep my decision to one of those six teams. I understand, you know, when new offensive linemen come in that they can gel, maybe they upgraded. Other people on that list, you know, 26 other teams might be better than those six. But from I can basically just go on what we've seen in the past. And again, talent and continuity to me trump all. I can also eliminate three teams because based on a talent level, they do not match up with the other three. I'll eliminate the Bills, I'll eliminate the Chiefs, and the Jaguars. So guys, that leaves me with the Las Vegas Raiders, the Indianapolis Colts, and the New Orleans Saints. I'll get to the end here, and I'll pick the New Orleans Saints. Um, This is a team that has created a lot of yards for their running backs but we're also number four overall in pass pro efficiency per PFF last year. And a a healthy five group 
of Teron Armstead, who is one of the best left tackle athletes you see in the NFL. Andrews Pete, who they just resigned. Eric McCoy at center, who is on a rookie contract. Larry Warford, who is a veteran and has done it for a very long time, slash Cesar Ruiz in that right guard spot. And the Saints were one of the first teams to really value right tackle as much as left tackle in Ryan Ramchek. I think the Saints have absolutely created one of the best, if not the best, offensive line situation in the NFL. Hard to argue. We're both just too stunned. Um, but, you know, I have, I'm also famously known for my, my strong opinions on offensive line units. Um, well, you've been in the lab lately, Pat. I, say, I became a that. film guru during the run-up to the draft. Uh, I'll say, uh, so the Colts, I knew would be one of the teams in there. And this is, like, not really going on. I'm excited to see what this elite, like, unquestionably elite Colts offensive line can do with Phillip Rivers. Because when was the last time Phillip Rivers had an actually good offensive line? And you have this marriage of a quarterback who gets the ball out as quick as any quarterback in the NFL with this elite offensive line. And we could see a real bounce back season from Phillip Rivers. But uh, mm-hmm. the the Saints, just everything. I loved your Saints poetry there. Just uh, the way and the depth and the way this, we Kyle Shannon kind of gets all the the recent plaudits for run game design. But Sean Payton, man, he's so good at that too. And uh, but yeah, it's hard to argue with any of your choices at offensive line. And what about the Colts? Not just protecting for Philip Rivers, but opening holes for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we'll see yes. how their workload split with Marlon Mack. But to have an early down grinder like Mac and then replace him with someone who can who we project can do that even better behind one of the best offensive lines in the league yeah like it's going to be something special on that offense yeah more research to back that up the Raiders created 73 percent well let me say this 73 percent of Josh Jacobs yards last year came after contact 70 percent of Alvin Kamara slash Latavius Murray's yards came after contact last year 64% 64% for Marlon Mack. So of that trio, the Colts offensive line created the most yards for their back. I was shocked, though, to find out that per PFF, their pass pro efficiency was 24th in the NFL. But we always go back to this, you know, pressures and sacks, so on and so forth, are almost equally a quarterback stat as they are an offensive line stat. And Jacoby Brissett is someone who had some trouble with that last season to draw in and reel in even more pressure. But I think Chris Ballard deserves a lot of credit. The Saints have been able to basically use high draft capital at every single one of their offensive line spots or big second contracts. Chris Ballard wasn't able to do that. Mark Lewinsky was a cast off by one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL in the Seattle Seahawks. And boom, he comes in and that group, the Colts, have turned him into one of the better guards in the entire NFL. And Anthony Costanzo flirted with leaving, but he's back making this unit uh, just as strong for at least one more year. And that, that was a great point you made about Jacoby Brissett holding on to the ball for too long. Because now the Colts go from that to, again, one of the quickest in the league and getting out in Phillip Rivers. So you'll see a bounce back for the Colts pass pro. And just, man, I am so excited about the Jonathan Taylor Colts thing. Because to me, Jonathan Taylor is not very impressive side to side. But if you're clearing him lanes moving forward and he can hit that and explode, I mean, we're going to see a lot of long touchdowns behind that Saints, that Colts offensive line. Yeah, he's a slalom skier between the tackles. Like he will he weave and, and switch gaps and switch 
everything and, and really can make it happen between the tackles. And he has a lot better athleticism than I think a lot of people expected. So the big play is going to be there as well. One final point here. I think we're all in unison in saying the Saints, but they also have some depth. I mean, either right now it's Cesar Ruiz as a backup. Nick Eason, who they brought in last offseason, has plenty of starting experience previously with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and then I believe Will Clapp is their swing offensive lineman, utility offensive lineman right now. So, yes, we are closing here with the New Orleans Saints as the best offensive line in the NFL. Should I run through all of our picks, gentlemen? Yes, our, our starting unit. Yes. Yes. If the, this is a perfect scenario, one that would even beat Pat and Madden if we had <laughs> the chance. The best running back situation in the NFL goes to the Cleveland Browns, kind of out of nowhere. The best <laughs> play caller, Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. The best wide receiver situation, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, even Scotty Miller, tight end, the Philadelphia Eagles with the duo of Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. The best quarterback situation goes to one man and one man by himself. That is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And then it is all protected by the offensive line of the New Orleans Saints and their front five plus depth players. How do we do, gentlemen? Not bad? What exercise? What if we gave Andy Reid the Ravens running backs instead of the Browns running backs? Then you think about it. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. He kind of seems smitten with Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the moment. And sure. that could be a player who we talk about in a year from now as, yeah, that should have been in our conversation. If he truly is Brian Westbrook coming out of Andy Reid's mouth to our ears. I mean, we this, team, this team's winning multiple Super Bowls. and uh, <laughs> Like Kirk yeah. Cousins. And the, the next dynasty. four or five. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to compare with my terrible Madden playing. Um, but I'm the world's worst Madden player, but I just, like, refuse to get better. I just, like, keep throwing no matter what. And What is the repeated issue? Let, let it vent to us, and we will try to help you, even though I haven't played Madden in about five No, years. interceptions. Yeah, and it's kind of a refusal to, like, read coverages and just, like, you know, I'm just trying to have fun. I'm just – I'm going to my first read every single time. <laughs> and you know, usually that first read is wide open for 20 yards – but one out of every five or six times they're not, and it's automatically intercepted. And uh, you, you did go to Missouri, and you know we've seen other Missouri quarterbacks do <laughs> yes. the exact same thing once in yes. the NFL. So, Pat, this is not a shocking development. Yes. So, I, I take, or the I Blaine take, Gabbard of Madden players at the moment. Well, no, no. I would say I take Drew Locke Liberty, my first deep field <laughs> read over Blaine Gabbard death, and uh, you know not kind of going for the home run. So also not a shocking development. Whenever we were lament, lamenting on Matt. Pat's Madden franchise. That's when John Daigle kicks us off the air. So let's get out of here. <laughs> yes, let's get out of here. We'll be back next Tuesday slash Wednesday with another episode of this very podcast. Thank you all for checking this one out, listening to us along the way and during draft season. So for Daigle, for Pat, I am Josh. Up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon. See you.